Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. So, uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for, uh, for who you are, Lord, and thank you that you have given us a wonderful gift in your word that you have revealed so much about who you are. Uh, if only we would look and see. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move this morning, move in our hearts, uh, that you would move in my mind and move in my mouth to speak what you would have the church to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right. So, once again, busy week, no PowerPoint, so you just get some Bible verses and some story time with Todd. Um, so we're doing part six on our study of Moses, and this particular uh, week we're looking at the account where Pharaoh kind of doubles down in his refusal to let the Israelites go. So, you know, Moses got this whole game plan, he got this whole thing from God, what he's supposed to do, so now he goes to meet Pharaoh, and we get Pharaoh's response. So that's, that's our context. Uh, we're, doing, we're coming out of Exodus 5, if you're wanting to follow along in your scriptures. <clears throat> so hardship and difficulty are facts of life. It doesn't matter who we are. We're going to face some sort of hardship, some sort of difficulty. The older we get, the bigger the hardship, the bigger the difficulties uh, we'll encounter. Right now, my little seven-month-old, her hardship is that she can't climb over the laundry basket, and she gets really frustrated. Right? My frustration is like when I get a flat tire in the car. It's a little bit bigger, stakes a little bit higher, but we have these hardships, we have these difficulties. Um... We're going to experience those. Now, hardship and difficulty can be rooted in many things. Very often it'll be uh, external physical opposition. Maybe we're dealing with difficult people that we're bound to, either relationally or at work. There's a hard person to get along with. There's this external physical opposition that, that, that is hard to get around. Uh, other hardships are consequences for our actions. You know, we, we do something dumb, and we have a consequence for it, right? Uh, that's it's just the nature of the, of the beast. You know, if I climbed up on top of this building, and I jumped, and I didn't land right, I'm going to break my ankle. It's a consequence, right? So, but that's a difficulty. Now I have to go through this whole recovery process. And then there are difficulties caused by uh, our spiritual enemy, or even just living in a fallen world. Now, one of the things that, uh, that I learned early, early on growing up and uh, you know, getting my start in a Pentecostal church was the, the tendency to blame the devil for a lot of our difficulty when it really isn't even his fault. You, know? <laughs> you get up and you stub your toe in the, on the bed, like that's really not the devil's fault. right? But there are some difficulties that do come from the enemy that are rooted in the enemy. And... Some of us just, we live in a fallen world. You know, like, if I'm driving down the road and I run over a nail, yeah, I'm going to get a flat tire. It's, it's a fallen world. Things aren't perfect. But difficulty, it doesn't matter what the root of the hardship is in terms of the remedy, right? Um, but whatever the root of the hardship is, when we trust in the Lord, it becomes an opportunity to see God's faithfulness. Yes. And at the same time, uh, it's a chance for our faith to grow, 
and our character to grow. So hardship isn't always uh, a bad thing, bad in terms of like totally destructive, right? It, it's not always an evil thing. It's a hard thing. And it's also an opportunity to grow in our faith, grow in our character. I mean, just look at Joseph. Like, look at all the hardship he went through. Now, he was pretty dumb early on telling all of his brothers that they're going to bow down to him, right? That didn't go over well. Bad consequences with jealous brothers, sold as a slave, accused of uh, sexual impropriety, and then gets thrown into prison and stays in prison until, uh, basically in God's timing, raises him up to the number two position in Egypt. Right? He went through some hardship. And you better believe that his faith and his character were worked on in that process. So as we continue the series on Moses... We're going to look at uh, some of the hardship for Moses and the Hebrew people in this encounter. Like I said, we're only going to do 23 verses, and there's not a lot of like big information that goes on here. It's just a little short piece of narrative, but then we're going to try to extrapolate some things out of that. So starting in Exodus 5, verse 21, it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, <laughs> And then I got a blank spot. Whatever Pharaoh said, whatever Moses. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival to me in the desert. I must have like hit control X and like cut that out when I was putting my notes together. And then Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, this is Moses and Aaron, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy, and that is why they are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people, so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, This is what the Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met the quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. So they go to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we're told to make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, and you must produce your full quota of bricks. So they went to the highest level of authority to say, hey, there's a breakdown in communication here. We're set up to fail, right? And then Pharaoh basically just reinforces and said, nope, it's not changing. 
So at this point, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting for them. And they said, this is the Israelite overseer, saying to Moses and Aaron, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses returns to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. So that's the end of our scene. And we have a whole whole lot going on here, but you know, the gist is <clears throat> Moses started with a, a modest offer. Give us three days to go worship the Lord. And you gotta remember, we, we I, I kind of built this up in the previous weeks. Like God spelled out the whole blueprint. This is going to happen, 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 this is going to happen. It's going to result in Pharaoh's son dying, right? Seems like Moses kind of forgot part of the process, but, you know, that's a whole other thing. But he gives a modest thing, three days to go worship. And then we have Pharaoh's point of view, his attitude. For Pharaoh, the Israelites were cheap labor. They were slave laborers at this time. And the cheap labor caused Pharaoh to depend on them for national personal projects. They had to keep building the bricks, right? If he's going to build a temple to himself or a pyramid to himself or any other building projects. So he's got a cheap labor force and he's really dependent on them to, uh, to do all of this menial labor. And Moses is saying, give all of them Let's say it's 250,000 people, right? Throw your number in there. Let all 250,000 of your cheap labor people go into the wilderness for three days. You know what that means. Like all construction productivity is going to come to a screeching halt while they're out doing this. So in Pharaoh's point of view, this is not a good idea. This is, this is a terrible administrative plan. And he doesn't care about the Israelites' God. Why? Because he is God, right? And, and the Pharaoh, the, the belief system that the Pharaoh's descended from Horus. He's a deity. So why would he let his biggest cheap labor force shut down all productivity to go worship a God that is not him? Doesn't make sense, right? So what happens when a big mass of people that are contributors to the productivity of a nation come to a screeching halt. Well, we kind of got an example of that last year with the Canadian truckers protest, didn't we? When they surrounded the entire capital with their trucks and nothing could get in and out. I mean, that's kind of like the level that we're looking at here. <clears throat> and so since Pharaoh was considered a living deity, he wasn't about to let Egypt cripple its own economy to let a bunch of slaves go out and worship their god for three days. So that's where Pharaoh's coming from. So his response in all of this is pretty much like the Canadian government's response. Let's not reason with them. Let's just tighten our grip and make things tougher. We're going to require the same brick production. We're going to take away their resources so they have to find their own resources. And uh, we're going to, it's going to go hard for them if they uh, aren't able to comply. So he puts this policy in place. The Israelites like, 
we're set up to fail. We can't win on this. There's got to be a breakdown somewhere. So they go and they form a petition to Pharaoh, thinking that this would be productive, that maybe he'll listen to reason. And they discover that he commanded this to begin with. And, and basically Pharaoh says, because you keep asking to go into the wilderness to worship God, which was Moses' plan to begin with, right, in their eyes. So now Israel gets upset with their leader Moses. So God's appointed Moses to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And now all of the Israelites are angry at Moses for making their hardship harder. You can see how this is transpiring, and it's not the most... Uh, joyous occasion for anybody involved. So Israel turns their disdain to Moses and Aaron and they blame Moses and Aaron for the hardship. So Moses goes to the Lord to inquire about this hardship. And here, I mean, like when just the words of this prayer seems that he has forgotten the whole blueprint that Pharaoh's going to make it hard for everybody and it's going to keep getting hard because Pharaoh's heart is going to be hardened and then, I'm, then they're going to let you go. It's like he forgot that whole thing, and he's like, Lord, you're not even rescuing your people. Right? And so he's, he's forgot the plan for some reason or another. So we're going to look at three hardships, or three hardship principles in this. Hardship principle number one. Sometimes, and, and I think anybody who's walked the spiritual walk, or anybody who's made a significant change in their life routine can identify with this. Sometimes when we make initial steps, particularly to honor and obey God, things get tougher. They don't get easier. The work seems harder. The obstacles seem harder. Um, I've heard some, some preachers say that becoming a Christian is the hardest thing that they've ever done. The hardest thing they've ever done. I know in my own life, I became a Christian, uh, the way I like to say it, you know, when, when word got out that I was a Christian, all of my non-Christian friends dropped me like a hot potato. Like I lost my entire, excuse me, friend social network. They get away from him, he's, he's a Bible thumper, that's one of the terms they used back then. Bible thumper, and it was a Pentecostal church, so they also called me a holy roller, even though I didn't do any rolling around. <laughs> Hardest thing we've ever done, right? But when we step up to make changes in our lives toward the kingdom, those with whom we normally got along with can often become estranged at best and adversarial at worst. So we could have had like our best friend, we become, come to the faith, we see things from a different point of view, and then they can kind of turn on us and start attacking us. Like it happens. Uh, a great example of this, uh, to pull from history, is back in the 1100s, there was a great administrator in England named uh, Thomas Beckett. Um, so Thomas Beckett, you know, he grew up, you know, he was uh, very good in terms of like doing government organizations, really helped out King Henry II. They were almost kind of like really good buddies. They really got along very well until Thomas Beckett uh, had an opportunity to become the Archbishop of Canterbury. And King Henry II pulled all of his political weight to get him appointed, even though Thomas did not want the position. So once he was in the posi position, it's almost like he, he really got a hold of what the kingdom of heaven was about. And as tenacious as he was in his government administration positions, he was just as tenacious 
in terms of the interest of the church in the day. And this caused a huge falling out between him and Henry II. Thomas of Becket had to go into exile into France for about seven years. Um, when he was restored, they butted heads again. And uh, eventually a couple of uh, well-meaning uh, knights overheard King Henry complaining about this archbishop, and they went in and they killed him in his own cathedral. So, there's a bit of hardship. Thomas Becket has a change of heart, starts doubling down on the kingdom of heaven, and gets assassinated by some knights that are wanting to uh, appease the king. Kind of a hardship when things go against you, right? Uh, so to tie all of this in, he had this major change and it caused massive resistance, massive conflict. And don't ask me why, because my, my brain works this way. It reminded me of uh, one of the lessons that Alora learned in her class this last week, and it's kinetic and potential energy. And that potential energy stands, tends to stay put and was acted on by a stronger force. And kinetic energy, which is the moving energy, tends to move until it's acted on by a stronger force. And so to change the energy from one form to another, you have to have a stronger force to overcome the resistance. And so when we're making initial steps to honor and obey God, there's going to be this initial resistance to that change. Whether it's people, whether it's our situations, maybe even our job. You know, like... Have you ever started out with a job where you have to work on Sundays and then you really want to honor the Lord and not have to go to work on Sundays and it gets really, really hard to work because they don't want you to take your Sundays off? Like anybody who's worked in retail or, or the food industry, like that's just a fact of the matter. And uh, you might end up, they might give you your Sundays off, but then you might find that your hours get cut and you're not able to bring in sustainable income. It's... It's true. It's, 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 a, it's a reality, right? So you take these steps to pursue the kingdom of heaven in, in the next level, wherever you're at, you're going to come across resistance. And basically, you're going to have to have enough force to overcome that resistance to keep that path in motion. Fortunately, we have the Holy Spirit. We've got God on our side. And at the same time, we're still the ones that have to go through that resistance. It's a hardship. So that's our... Our principle for hardship, number one. Number two is, when we are obeying God, it's common to encounter false accusations and to be the subject of vain imaginations. We use that term a lot. What is a vain imagination? Is that in my mind, I play out a whole scenario based on partial information on somebody, and I form a conclusion, and I adopt a position, and I react to somebody, based on this whole scenario, which may or may not even be re rooted in reality, and then this other person uh, ends up on the bad end of the stick, the way I treat them, because I've formulated this whole opinion that's not even based in reality. I've created this whole fantasy world around this person or the situation without all the information, uh, and then I cast judgment on it. That's pretty much a vain imagination. We all do it to some degree or another, you know, Look at marriages, like how frustrated we get whenever maybe our spouse doesn't uh, take the garbage out or our spouse leaves uh, a dirty cup on the, on the counter without putting it in the sink. Like, uh, guilty. Uh, <laughs> but like, it's easy to adopt a vain imagination that they're doing this with malicious intent. 
as opposed to just being absent-minded, right? Or just like they didn't think about it, right? And so that's why a lot of marriages break down because of lack of communication. This person builds up vain imaginations. This person builds up vain imaginations. They never clear the air, continues to build up over decades, and then they just can't get along because they won't sit down and talk about it. So a vain imagination is a huge component uh, to things breaking down. It's exactly what happens with Pharaoh here. Moses says, let us go worship for three days. And Pharaoh's response, vain imagination, the Israelites only want to do this because they're lazy and they don't want to work. It could be his rationalization, but basically he's like, they don't want to work. So we're going to give them more work to do. They're too lazy. And then he falsely accuses them. You guys are lazy. I don't care that you're working 12 hours a day. You're lazy. So now you need to work 15 hours a day. So that's Pharaoh. You know, and anybody, I think anybody who's followed any media whatsoever can quickly realize that anybody in a high governmental position, it doesn't matter if it's America, if it's China, if it's England or, or Egypt, the people on the top of the governmental chain are almost 100% disconnected with reality of the everyday people. They don't have a clue what's going on. You know, like I, I remember just recently, uh, people were complaining about the cost of gas, and I think it might have been uh, AOC, um, who said, well, let them buy electric cars. Yeah, like, like everybody who's working a regular job can go out and buy a $60,000 electric car. I mean, like, it's just, let them eat cake, right? <coughs> Maybe you guys know what that is. Maybe you don't. You know, Marie Antoinette, French Revolution, right? Let them eat cake because they can't afford bread. Let them buy electric cars. Vain imaginations and false accusations have been the root of many failed relationships, friendships, marriages, partnerships. And it's, and also it's, the vain imaginations and false accusations can also be the ruin of anybody who's pursuing like a holy Christian life. It's part and parcel. I mean, like, think about it. Like, how many, how many pastors get ruined because of an accusation of sexual impropriety? Whether it's true or not. I mean, like, do they need to be held accountable if it's true? Absolutely. What about the ones that don't? Like, almost in that situation, it becomes guilty until proven innocent. And even if proven innocent, the reputation's already destroyed. Right? So... That's, that's an ever-present reality for anybody who's naming the name of Christ. I mean, it, it, you don't even have to be a religious leader. You can be a Christian in the workforce, be accused of something unethical, and then have your entire represent, rep, uh, reputation ruined. Um, and that was, that was actually... Um, uh, I'm losing my words now. Manipulation uh, that happened with... Um, uh, rulers in the communist regime. So when I was 17 years old, um, I ended up coming across a book produced by the Voice of the Martyrs titled Tortured for Christ. Maybe you guys have come across this book, maybe you haven't. Written by a guy named Richard Wormbrand. I think he was Hungarian or Romanian, one of the two. But it was under the Iron Curtain. He was an atheist all of his life and then, like, came to the realization that Jesus was real, against all of the communist propaganda, became a Christian. Within two years, I couldn't imagine this, within two years of becoming a Christian, ends up a pastor in the underground church, and then ends up getting arrested, imprisoned, 
tortured with other Christians who were tortured. And he goes through the whole account, which I won't get into. But then when he gets out, you know, he gets, he gets uh, like clemency to come to uh, the West. They threaten him, say, if you let any of this information out, we're just going to let it out that you were a sexually loose person over here in the home country. And you know that all those Western Christian Protestants, they're going to shut you down and not give you the time of day. Like that was, that was the threat that they gave him to keep his mouth shut. He didn't. He actually um, ended up testifying before Congress uh, in all of these um, acts against humanities. But they would use those type of tactics because they knew, they knew that a false accusation could destroy somebody's reputation and credibility uh, right out of the gate. And so, what's Pharaoh doing? He's setting up a false accusation. Probably not just for himself, but everybody in the cabinet that hears him. All those Hebrews, those Israelite people, they're just a bunch of lazy bums. They're not, they're not going to get the work done, so we need to crack down and make the work harder. He gets his whole cabinet involved in it. So that's our second hardship principle, is that when we're obeying God, it's common to encounter false accusations and be the subject of vain imaginations. Hardship principle number three. It's easy to forget the word of the Lord and the plan when we're met with the resistance. Like we said, Moses got the whole game plan laid out before him before he even stepped foot back in Egypt. And all of a sudden his prayer is like, Lord, you're not even doing anything for your people. Like, I think something got forgotten in the process. So after hardship, Moses' prayer reflects this forgetfulness. And anytime we hear something from the Lord, He's going to call us to something, and there's going to be something to overcome. It, it happens. Most, like, most of the time, when God calls us to something, it's not easy breezy, one, two, three, easy, right? It's really like we're going to have to overcome something. Part of it's growing the faith, part of it's growing in character. Part of it's just the nature of the situation. So we may have received a word or a direction from God on something, but when that rubber hits the road, when we encounter that friction or that hardship, it's easy to either question the validity of what we heard, did I really hear this right? Or to even remember the plan. That happened to me recently when I made the pivot uh, in my secular work from uh, being a technology instructor in the library to being a, a full-time IT professional, like I forgot the plan. So the better part of the year, I was mentally and emotionally stressed out over trying to, to generate enough income to, to pay for the household. And I forgot that the plan was to do that for a season to make myself more marketable. Until Shannon had to remind me, oh, this is part of the plan. Like... But I forgot, and for, so for six months to eight months, I just totally forgot that this was part of the plan. <laughs> and I was stressing out over saying, when, Lord, are you going to come? And we had put the plan together. Had I looked at the blueprint, I'd have been like, oh, yeah, this is the X, Y, and Z supposed to happen. And I, I lost, I forgot. And so I was, I was stressed a lot. I was reactive a lot. I, and it was just until it came together and... Shannon and, and the Lord reminded me, no, no, this is the plan. Here's the next step. And then the next step happened. I was like, oh, God is faithful. 
Like, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's as clear as day. So, like, I get Moses, right? I hit friction. I forgot the plan, and I stressed out over it. Yeah. And my prayers were reflecting that. Lord, why have you forgotten me? You know, and it happens. All of us, whenever we hit friction, when we're walking for the Lord, it's easy to start questioning ourselves and doubting whether or not we heard things accurately. And the best example we have in Scripture of that is you know, Peter in the storm, right? Lord, if it's you, let me come out to you. All right, come on out. Starts walking on the water, right? And then he's like, wait a minute. This isn't part of the plan. Down he goes, right? He goes right into the water because he took his eyes off the Lord. And in his current situation, for that moment, he goes, does not compute. And then down he goes. If we've, if we've, if we've tried anything worth trying at all, we've encountered something like this. You know, whether it's taking classes in college or, or taking on a new position at work, you know, hey, we, we got a promotion. Yeah, this is a good thing until we hit that first resistance with the new responsibility. Like, what did I get myself into? You know, it's, it happens, right? We're human. We can lose sight of things. And whether we emerge from that hardship in failure, like Peter, or in victory, because Moses plowed through, right? It depends on how close we hold to the Lord through the process. You know, when I was losing my stuff over this thing, like, I, I didn't abandon God. I held on to him. I said, I don't understand what's going on here. <sighs> you need to do something, or you need to tell me what to do. That, I mean, like, but I was still hanging on, right? Like, I, I lost sight of it, but I was still hanging on. But our successes and failures depend on whether or not we're holding on to the Lord through the process. So either we stick close to God and work through it in faith and in trust, or what's more tempting is to jettison God because we don't really trust Him to begin with. It's like, well, well God's not working enough in my time. God's not doing things the way I want it to do. And then we start thinking we could do it better than God. And then we try to do things on our own, and we just say, forget God. You find it easier to give up in the face of difficulty. And so this option prevents us from growing as a Christian and growing as a person. Because if, if our mentality in everything is if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself, you're not going to get very much done, and you're going to see a lot of failure and disappointment because you don't trust the Lord. Yep. Like we, we all do it. We've all been there. So, to wrap it up in conclusion, hardship number one. Things usually get tougher when we start making changes to align more with the kingdom. It's going to get harder. We're going to be rejected. We might even be derided. And our situations might become more stressful, feel more oppressed, so on and so forth. So that's our principle number one. Principle number two on the hardship, when we obey God, we can pretty much expect some sort of false accusation to happen or people reacting to us out of vain imaginations. It's going to happen. People are going to be people. And a fallen world is going to run by a fallen world's uh, value system. When we adopt a kingdom of heaven value system, it's going to be different. You know, uh, I like this passage in, I think it's Second Corinthians, where Paul says, to those that are being redeemed, we are the aroma of life. 
To those that are perishing, we are the aroma of death. I often thought it'd be really weird, but an inside joke to get a bumper sticker that says, do I smell like a corpse? And then have the Bible passage. <laughs> I mean, that's just my weird sense of humor. But when we're pursuing the kingdom of heaven, people who are pursuing the kingdom of heaven, they get it, right? But those that don't, don't. Crazy, weird, out of this world. What do you think you're doing? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't follow conventional wisdom. So in obeying God, we can expect false accusations. We can expect vain imaginations. Because fallen people are going to do what fallen people do. It just happens. Hardship principle number three. When we're in the thick of a hardship, it's easy to forget or lose sight that we are in God's hands and that He is working through the situation. God was doing a work through this whole thing. Moses lost sight of it. Moses still hung on to the Lord. He lost sight of the next steps. So when we start following God and eventually stop, like, and, and so if we're following God and we stop following God, right? that's called apostasy. When we become apostate, it's due to an unwillingness to go through the hard work and pain of a hardship while trusting in the Lord. It's almost like we'd rather go through the hardship without trusting in the Lord because at least that way we can't be disappointed any. Yeah. That, that's a typical rational thought. And those that keep their eyes on the Lord, keep their eyes on Jesus, through it all are the ones that will emerge with a stronger faith, a stronger character, and a better sense of who God is. It's keeping the eyes on the Lord, no matter what. So as, we, so, you know, as I started, hardships are a fact of life, and they're a fact of the Christian life. Regardless of the nature of the hardship, right? Is it from the, from the devil? Is it because I stubbed my toe um, I'm experiencing a consequence from a foolish action, or is it just an external force opposing me? Whatever it is, the starting point is always the same. It's pressing into the presence of God. Trusting in the Lord in the process, no matter what or who comes against us. And it's the key to living a victorious life. This is the difference between how Moses dealt with the Egyptian hardships and how the Israelites dealt with it. You know, Moses lost sight. He still held on to the Lord. But even in those complaints, what did Moses do when that hardship happened? Never mind the words of his prayer. He prayed. Right? What did Moses do when the Israelites, because of you, our life is harder? What does he do? He goes to the Lord. It's the first thing he does as opposed to what the Israelite leaders did. What did they do? They just turned to Moses and said, it's because of you, Moses. And they complained, and then they continued in their hardship. See the difference? Now, we're going to see that this MO, right, this modus operandi, is going to follow Moses and the Israelite people for the next 40 years. But we're starting to see what starts setting Moses apart as a leader is... He's somebody who presses into God, even though he doesn't understand everything. Mm -hmm. So those are the, uh, the, the summaries of our study on Moses for chapter 6, when Pharaoh doubled down and increased the workload, and what Moses did, and what we can expect in terms of hardship. So, dear Heavenly Father, I 
Thank you that you are a good and gracious Father. And I lift your name on high, Lord, that as long as we trust in you, no matter how difficult the situation is, you are faithful. And that you will see us through uh, to your end. And so, Lord, I give you the praise, the glory, and the honor, and I pray that you would move in each and every one of our hearts to have courage and boldness to trust in you in the face of hardship and that we would put our hand to the plow no matter what obstacle is in our way when you tell us to get to work. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hello again. This is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of The Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.